So today, so today, I, I want to talk about this idea, the space between. I want to talk about the gap between the reality, your reality, and your expectations. I want to talk about where you are and where you want to be and what happens in the middle of that. I want to talk about the space between. Like, what happens when you find out that you have stage four cancer and you're ready to be through chemo and cancer-free? Like... What happens in the space between when you move to a new city and you know that you need uh, friends in your life because it helps your soul, but you know that you don't know a soul yet? What happens in, in the space between when you lose your job and you know you need financial stability and job security, but you're not there yet? Like what happens? What happens when you're in the middle of dating and you're trying to figure out who your future someone is and you're not really sure if they're it? Like what do you do in the space between? What do you do if you've always dreamed of having kids? And then the doctor told you, it's, it's not, it's not going to work. What do you do in that space? What do you do when your kids, who you hoped would have a vibrant faith, are not there yet? What do you do in that space? In your faith, some of us desire to, to take risks and to, and to have a big, bold faith, but yet the reality is you live in a sea of questions. So what do you do with the space between? Uh, today I want to dive into a parable of Jesus in Luke chapter 12. Uh, and let me just give you the front end of it. There is a conversation. Uh, there's a dispute about inheritance. Just so you know, um, it's how it still works today. Inheritance conversations are always ugly. So we're going to just acknowledge that that happened in the Bible. And then we're going to get to the part where Jesus gives this parable right after that. Because I'm really uncomfortable talking about inheritance disputes. So let's just get to the parable. Okay. Here's what Jesus says. Luke chapter 12, verse 16. We're going right into verse 16. If you've got a Bible, open it. If you want to look on the screen, great. If you want to open your Bible app, fair enough. If you need a Bible, we'll give you one on the way out. Verse 16. And he told this parable. A ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store all these crops. Then he said to himself, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my small barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus of grain. And I will say, self, you are amazing. I have so much. So I think I'll sit back, take it easy have a virgin strawberry daiquiri, and be merry. This is a drink. I don't know what's drink, but be merry. But then God said to him, you fool, this very night he said, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it would be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Uh, the title of my message today is The Space Between. So on your way to your seat, Turn to somebody and say, what do you do? What do you do? And you can have a seat. What do you do? So here's where I want to take you. I need your help today, Bill. You got to help me. I just got to let you know, coming off a of Super Bowl weekend, I'm still feeling it. So I need your help. I'm going to trust that you're going to get there today. I got one. Here we go. So here's where I'm going to take you today. Your focus, your focus sets your future. Your focus sets your future. If you're watching today online, just go ahead and put it in the comment section below. Uh, take a snapshot of this. If you're taking notes, put it down because this is extremely important. Your focus sets your future. 
And we are introduced today to a rich man in the parable of the story of, of this abundant harvest that happens. And what we find with the rich man that in his abundant harvest, he decides that he wants to grow his enterprise. And so he decides that he will tear down his strip mall and build an Amazon warehouse. Are you with me? And I find it so fascinating that in tearing down his strip mall and building his Amazon warehouse, there is a space between the smaller barn and the bigger barn. And what Jesus is alluding to and what is implicit in the story is that at the heart of the space between is this idea of greed. That the rich man is filled with greed. And, the, and a better expression of that is more like he's trying to gain the upper hand. He is trying to gain the advantage. And we have to understand that the story that Jesus is telling is not a true story, but it is a parable. And Jesus often gave these stories or these parables to make a point. And not necessarily to the crowds that are listening, but a lot of times Jesus gives a story in a parable for the people who are following him. He gives it to the disciples. See, Jesus is trying to make a connection for his disciples. He's saying there's a connection between the barn builder and people who are going to build the kingdom of God. There's a deep connection. I need you to see it real quick, and it's so good. Because in the story, it says that he has a surplus of grain. That's the barn builder. If you go back just a few chapters to verse uh, chapter 10, verse 2, Jesus says the same thing. He says, you will see an abundant harvest. He said, the harvest is many, but the workers are few. And the irony of this is in the conversation about harvest just before that, in chapter 9, we we see this weird discussion with the disciples talking about who will be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Who is going to be the greatest when the harvest comes in? And they're fighting about who's going to have the advantage. Who's going to come out on top? Remember the barn guy? Like, who's going to come out on top? Who's going to have the advantage? And Jesus says here, he says, right after this in verse 47, chapter 9, it says, he knew their thoughts. He knew their thoughts. And much like the barn builder, what he understands is that there is a space between where his disciples are and where he needs them to be. And what he knows is that in the space between, much like the barn builder who fills it with greed, he knows that his disciples will fill this space from where they are to where he is taking them. See, what Jesus is saying in this moment is, disciples, your focus sets your future. Um, let me, let me help this come alive. In Japanese philosophy, okay, Japanese philosophy, we're going there today. They have this thing called ma, which literally translated means the space between. And in this philosophy, they believe that there is a space between one object and another, or there is a pause within a movement. Think about NASCAR. I, can I just, I do not understand NASCAR. I don't know how you can watch people go in circles for four hours. But kudos for those who do. It's like this giant pause. Like the movement is the race, but when somebody gets in a wreck, there's a pause. It's the, it's the space between. And what they believe in this philosophy is that in the space, it's not empty, but there is an energy to it. There is an essence to it. Like if I could describe it this way, when Janelle and I were, were buying a home in Topeka, Kansas years ago, uh, we were looking at this house that was built in the 40s. It was beautiful. It had all these built-ins. The craftsmanship was amazing multiple fireplaces, and I loved the home, but then I remember we got to this one room upstairs, and I looked at her, and I thought, like, something feels a bit off. Do you ever get the feeling that somebody's watching you? 
and it's not a good thing? You ever just go and close your blinds because you're not sure if somebody's looking? I kind of felt that way in this room. I'm like, there's an energy here, and I'm not all into the new age thing. Like, I don't, I don't get into all that. But I could feel in this moment, like, oh, something is not right here. And we didn't buy the house because it was really odd. I think it was haunted, just to be honest with you. <laughs> and here's what I love about this philosophy of Ma, is what they say is this, is that you get to decide what you fill the space between. You decide what goes in there. You decide what kind of energy goes. I was, I was telling somebody this today. Um, people can sense your presence and your energy from 10 feet away. They know whether you're having a good day or a bad day just from being 10 feet from you. And what, what they are expressing is that your focus, your focus sets your future. Think about it this way. Uh, some of us had, have had fail, uh, financial difficulties in our life. And when you have found financial bankruptcy, when you have found financial struggles, what's your focus? Are you focused on what you don't have? Or are you focused on what you can work with? Now, some of you students, you have faced failure in your life, right? You've experienced failure, maybe on a test. And my question to you is this, is what is your focus when you fail? Do you focus on the pity or do you focus on the opportunity? Some of us have faced rejection in our lives. You ever had rejection in your life? What was your focus in the middle of rejection? Was it, oh, I think I'm going to throw in the towel? Or as we say in sales, did you overcome the objection? In our faith, what is your focus? Like, like some of us, the realization is that God is confusing. Relationship with God is messy. It doesn't always make sense. But what is your focus when it gets hard in your faith? What do you do within the space between? Do you just say, God, I'm going to let go and I'm going to forget it and I'm giving up on faith? Or do you lean in because you are focused on a God who is good? Can I tell you to church today, can I build your faith in this moment that your focus will set the future for your faith? Because you have to be focused in your faith on the small glimmers of hope. You got to be focused on what God has done in the past and be focused knowing that he is going to do it again. In the space between when it gets hard, church, it's when you need to focus on giving him praise. You need to focus on standing firm. You need to focus on rejoicing in the Lord always. You need to focus that your father is always near to you. You need to focus that in every situation, you can come to your father with prayer and thanksgiving, acknowledging that he will follow through for you. You've got to be focused on what is right, focused on what is good, focused on what is true, focused on what is noble, focused on what is excellent and praiseworthy. Scripture says, focus on these things because when you focus on a good God, it will set your future, church. Amen. I told you I'm going to preach today. I need you to get with me. So I just want to throw this out there. Some of you are in this space right now and you're not sure what to do with it. And so my question to you is, what is your focus in this time? What are you filling it with? So can I just, I'm going to share this story and I hope it makes sense. Um, before I came to Be Hope, which I've only been here like for eight months. Guys, I'm new. If you're new, congratulations. We're in this together. This is a lot of fun. But in my last ministry, um, I, I showed up to, at my last church and uh, I'll say this kind of, the people were amazing. They wanted something new, but it was a dying church, and they knew that. Like, I got to give it to them, the courage to say, we're dying, and we need to change that. That's amazing. And in that process, we realized that we needed to 
close this last church and start over. We had to plant a new church out of this one. Some of you are like, I've never planted a church. I don't know what that's like. It doesn't make sense to me. Let, me. let me say it this way. Planning a new church is like starting your own business. If you've ever started your own business, you know the planning, the strategy, all the work that you have to do ahead of time. Uh, Janelle says it this way. It's like giving birth. I've never given birth, but she said it's painful on one side and beautiful on the other. I know we have a lot of you who uh, here at the Dayton area that work at uh, the Air Force Base, right, Patterson, and I know that you can't share what you do because there's a lot of secret things that go on. <laughs> but it's kind of like when you work on a project for two years and you're not sure if it's going to work out. You know that feeling? It's like this gut feeling inside. It's like, oh, this, this could go really bad. Uh, that's what it's like planning a church. And... Uh, and I remember uh, we decided to, to start over. We raised up leaders. We started building this beautiful culture. We, we were moving towards a healthy church. And what we saw when we launched was amazing. Like in the first four months, we saw new people coming to Jesus. We saw new people coming to faith. We saw baptisms that we didn't even see in the first four years. Our slogan was this. The first four months were worth the last four years. And as we started to grow, we announced in March of 2020 our second service. Oh, it is a risk when you announce going to another service. It's just more people, more volunteers. Like, it's a lot. And uh, like five days after that announcement, there's this weird thing that happened. It was called a pandemic. I don't know if you remember it. <laughs> I try to forget it. Five days after we announced this plan, like we knew what we were going to do. We were going to grow it from here to here, we were going to go from one campus to multiple campuses. We were going to watch hundreds of thousands of people get saved. And all of a sudden, a pandemic shows up, and I realize that I'm in the space between. From where I was to where I thought God was taking us, actually, it was to where I wanted us to be. And I'm like, God, I, I don't know what you're doing, but this is not okay. And I was really frustrated. And I got to tell you, like, Derek, like you, probably like you, I worked the hardest I have ever worked in my life during the, the pandemic. I, I keep hearing the word pivot in my mind, and I just am so sick of that word. Because I can only think of friends when it's like, pivot. You remember when he's, pivot. You remember that when he's trying to go? Anyway, let's not say pivot anymore, okay? It's traumatic for me. But in the work, what I remember most is I would lay at night, and I wasn't praying prayers of faith, but I was worrying about how we were going to get from here to this next point. Worry consumed my life. And I wonder for you if that is your greatest struggle today in the space between, is that worry consumes your life. I want to go back to what Jesus said earlier in Luke chapter 9. And I know we don't have it up here, but you can go on your Bible app and see it. It says that Jesus knew their thoughts as the disciples were having a conversation about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. And what I realized is Jesus understood there was a distance between the disciples' hearts and the harvest that he was calling them to. Like, there was a distance between where they were, and where he needed them to be. And the distance is in the conversation that they're having. See, the conversation about greatness was not about their ego. It wasn't about their pride. It wasn't about stature. It wasn't gonna, about who was going to be the best. But as you begin to peel back the layers of this conversation, the question is, will I have value 
Will I have value in front of my father? Will I have value in the kingdom of God? Maybe that's your question. Will I have value? Will God find me worthy of them? And what we know when we begin to peel all that back is when we start having conversations about value at the heart of it is worry. It's worry. Which is why Jesus turns to his disciples after giving this beautiful parable and he says to his disciples in verse 22, it says this. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry. Come on, I tell you, do not worry about your life and what you will eat. He says, I love this, do not worry about your body. I'm assuming that means I can eat more pizookies. <laughs> Maybe not. Do not worry about your life. Do not worry about your body, what you eat or what you will wear. For life is more than food and it's more than your body and it's more than clothes. He says, consider the ravens. They do not reap. They do not sow. He says, they do not have a storeroom or a barn, yet God takes care of them. God feeds them. Notice what he says next. Come on, church, this is so good. And how much more valuable, there it is, how much more valuable are you than the birds? Who of you, by worrying one more hour, can add an hour to your life? He says, since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? You're here. You want to be here. What are you worrying about? Do, do you worry that, that you're not living up to your potential in life? Do you worry that maybe, maybe God isn't using you the way you thought he would? Do you worry about death? I do. You worry about death? You like worry about what's going to happen to your kids? You worry about what's going to happen to your parents? Do you worry what's going to happen to your grandkids? Do you worry about the future? Like, do you worry if you're going to keep a job? Do you wonder if you're going to have enough money when your kids go to college? Like, what do you worry about? Do you worry in your faith? Oh, come on, church. Can I tell you, when you worry in your faith... You are pulling yourself away from a God who believes you are worthy of his time, church. And see, I think this is so important. I've been telling myself this for years, and I'm, I'm going to believe it at some point, but I believe that worry wastes what's worthy of our time. Worry wastes what's worthy of your time. Let me explain it like this. Um, when I come home, and I'm still thinking about work, even though at home, I am, I am wasting time that my kids are worthy of. When I'm having a conversation with somebody, I might have a conversation with you after church. And you know what I'm thinking about? I'm thinking about what went wrong today, what we messed up, what we could have got right, what we could have done better, what I shouldn't have said, and probably how I offended somebody. Like, that's what I'm thinking about. But I'm worried about it, and I'm wasting time that you are worthy of from me. Church, when you begin to worry about your life, you are wasting time from the things that are worthy of your life. And I truly believe we have no reason to worry because it tells us in Scripture that your God says do not worry because he desires to give you the kingdom of God. He desires to give you all these things. Why should you worry? And so you're saying, okay, I got it. I don't need to worry anymore. But how do I get there? How do I, in the space between, how do I, how do I let this worry go? 
So you remember the church that I was planting? Remember that whole thing? Middle of the pandemic, we put things on pause. Yeah, it was, it was a really frustrating time. And so in the middle of the pandemic, like it was a year ago, uh, I was on a treadmill in the new year, which is what you do in the new year. <laughs> you jump on a treadmill, staring at a white wall. I was listening to a pastor from Chicago, and he was talking about having a vision for your life. I'm like, this guy's motivated. What am I doing? So I, I thought, well, I guess I've got nothing else to do. It's a pandemic. I'll, I'll have a vision for my life. God, what is it that you want to say to me in this next year? You got to be careful what you ask for. You really do. So just, God, I'm running, have my hands out on the treadmill. What do you, what do you want to, what do you want to say to me in this next year? And, uh, and over the headphones and over the message and over the treadmill, I heard God say, die to self. I thought, I think my treadmill's demon-possessed. <laughs> There's no way that God said that. And I know that sometimes God speaks in a whisper, so I had all that noise going on. So like, well, let's get this right. So I took out my headphones, turned off the message, got off the treadmill, sat in my office chair. I was like, God, let's try this again. Like, a theme like be bold or be expectant or no fear or big faith, that would be a good one. Give me that one. I'm just put out my hands. All right, let's try this again. And he said, die to yourself. I don't like that message. I don't know what you mean by that. Am I dying this year? Like, I know you made it to 33 and I'm 40. Maybe you think that's enough life, but I still feel like I got a lot to go. Is my wife leaving me? Like, are my kids, like, something going to happen to my kids? Like, I'm really freaked out when you say die to yourself. And, and what I realized is, is he was saying to me, Brad, I need you to die to you. I need you to die to you. What he was saying as I look back was, Brad, you have to surrender the space between. You have to surrender the space between. See, what he was saying to me was, you have to surrender from where you are to where you think you need to be to surrender from where you are to where I need you to be. See, I was trying to go somewhere that he wasn't ready to take me. I was looking to the future, and that's not where he was going. Church, can I, can I let you, just let me help you here. When, when, when he launched this church, when, I'm, when I showed up at my last church, they said, it would be a miracle it will be a miracle if you can turn this thing around. It will be a miracle if you can sell this building. It will be a miracle if you could buy a new campus. It will be a miracle if you can launch this church. It will be a miracle if you can do all these things. And guess what? We watched every one of those things happen. Oh, yeah, we give God praise for that. So good. But what I hadn't realized in that moment was there was a sense of pride in my life that was beginning to build. Because I would tell people, they're like, you're not going anywhere, are you? I was like, no, I am not handing this church off to some punk who didn't do the preparation, who didn't go through the work, who didn't go through the pain, who didn't shed the tears, who didn't do all the planning, who didn't build the team, who didn't build the... I'm not handing this thing off. And I would tell people, like, I still have so much to prove like, I don't feel like God is done with me yet here. I have so much to prove. But here's what I was trying to prove. I was trying to prove everyone who said it wouldn't work wrong. I was trying to prove to everyone who laughed. Prove to everyone who said that God wasn't in it. Proving to everyone who said that it was going to fail from the very beginning. I was trying to prove that I had value. I was trying to prove my character. I was trying to prove my leadership skills. I was trying to prove my ability as a pastor. And as I sat there and wrote, died as myself in my Amazon journal, I just prayed this prayer. God, I said, I don't know what you mean. 
but I'm just going to surrender whatever it is you're talking about in this moment. I surrender it all to you because I don't know what this is. The oddity of this, like in that same season, I get a random, nonchalant, like out of the blue text message from some executive pastor named J.C. Sloan at B. Hope Church. We're celebrating, by the way, uh, it was a year ago this week that he sent me our first text message. We're, se- we're celebrating our text relationship, our text anniversary. So good. High five, JC. It's our text anniversary. But I am, I am, I'm convinced that if I didn't die to the things that I was holding on to, I would not be here today with the joy and the honor of being your pastor. I had to surrender it. And I'm so celebrating my last church and the new pastor who's come in, he's amazing. I'm celebrating that God was doing so much in that church. In the, in the story, I find it fascinating with the rich man he's tearing down a smaller barn and he's building a bigger one. You know what happens in the story? He dies. He dies. I don't know if you know this. Here's some hope for you today. You're going to die. I'm going to die. We're all going to die at some point in our lives. Can I, can I let you know the distinction in life is not, it's not how you die. It's what you die to. Oh, come on, church. That was really good. It's what you die to. See, I thought, I thought in the story, it's really absurd that you would die to building an Amazon warehouse, a bigger building. But then I think how absurd it is that we die to building bigger homes. We die to driving better cars. We die to having a bigger, bigger nest egg. We die, to our, we die to our cell phones. We die to our platforms. We die to our posts. We die to job titles. We die to little stupid pieces of paper called diplomas. Sorry for all you educators out there. We give our lives and our money to these things. We die to all these things. And do you know what's at the heart of them? It's depression and anxiousness. It's frustration and anger. And and for most of us, it's worry. That's what's at the heart of that life when you die to those things. But church, what I know is that when you you die to what God is calling to you, when you surrender all that you are, when you surrender the space between, God will take you from where you are to where he needs you to be. You want to step into his calling, surrender the space between. Between, come on, turn to somebody next to you, say, surrender it. Surrender it. Church, you're walking online, say, surrender it. Right now, surrender it. Wherever you are, William Booth said it this way. The greatness of a person's power is in the measure of their surrender. And I truly believe that surrender is where it starts. Jesus says it this way. He says, in all things, seek the kingdom. Seek the kingdom. I say surrender, Jesus says, seek the kingdom. And and I love this because right now there's this awakening that is happening over the United States. If you haven't heard, there's like this old school term called revival that is taking place on college campuses. It's happening across our nation. It's happening in this church. I believe it's happening all over. The move of God is, it's happening. And somebody described it this way. They said, a revival is just a beautiful experience where we seek God. Can I let you know the most beautiful way you can seek God is to surrender your life. 
right now in this moment, wherever you are, whatever it is that you're going through, just give it to him and surrender it all. Say, God, I can't, I can't hang on. Did you know our theme for this year is be expectant. We don't live with control, but we let go. And we live open-handedly to what God's going to do. 130 years ago, there was someone who lived in the space between. And they did not know what to do with their life except to write these words. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to thee, I daily give. I will ever love and trust him in his daily presence. I will live. Church, I surrender all of it. Is that your prayer today? Is that your prayer today? Would you stand with me in this moment? We do not have altars here at Be Hope, but did you know the beauty of altars is that your hands serve a multi-purpose? Your hands are your altars. And the greatest way that you can begin to experience a move of God in your life is just by opening them up. If you are really confident and bold, you'll put one arm up. If you're crazy spiritual, you'll put two arms up. I'm just kidding. But in this moment, I want to sing this together. And I want the spirit of God to move over you in such a way that you would surrender the space that you're in right now and let him take you where he needs to go. Come on, let's sing this today. All to Jesus I Surrender today. Surrender the past. Surrender the pain. Surrender the frustration. Surrender your future. Surrender the hurt. Surrender wherever you are in your life today. Surrender it today. I surrender all. Right now, in this moment, raise your hand if you're going to give it to God. You're going to put it in His hands. I surrender all. Come on. I surrender all. in this moment, what I love most is we're going to get to witness people who have surrendered their entire lives to Jesus through baptism. We believe that baptism is a public proclamation that we acknowledge that Jesus has died for our sins. He's been raised from the grave. And because of that, we can gain eternal life. There are people you're going to witness today who have said, I'm going all in with God and I'm surrendering everything that I am to him. And I wonder for you today, if you would make the same decision. Come on, you don't have to live with the weight. 
you don't have to live with the worry. And so today I'm asking you to be expectant. I'm asking you to be bold. Would you step forward as we continue to sing? And would you acknowledge before God that you are surrendering everything that you are to him today? We'll provide your shirt. We'll provide your shorts. You have no excuses why you shouldn't do this today. So we're going to have a pastor who's going to meet you up here. Pastor Sheila will meet you up here. We'll pray with you. We'll, we'll guide you to where you need to go. But if you feel like today's the day you're giving it all to him, we would invite you to make that step of faith and come down and join us in baptism. And the beginning of that begins by acknowledging who Jesus is. Let's pray this prayer together. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, that he gave his life to forgive my sins. And he was raised from the grave so that I may have life. I receive your grace by faith. Come into my life. I will follow you. Amen. Amen. Come on, church. Let's celebrate it. It's baptism time.